Hey, podcast fam, Eric here. And if you're an affiliate marketer or looking to monetize your online presence, you need to know about ShareASale.com. ShareASale is not just an affiliate network. It's your gateway to a world of opportunities. With thousands of high-paying affiliate programs across various niches, ShareASale connects you with top brands ready to collaborate with content creators like you. Imagine earning commissions for simply sharing products you love. Whether you're into fashion, tech, or lifestyle, Share Us Sale has got a partnership waiting for you. Ready to turn your passion into profits? Head over to milwaukeemafia.com slash shareasale and sign up today. It's free, it's easy, and and it's your ticket to unlocking a new revenue stream for your business. You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your weekly podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Welcome back. We're back for another episode of The Mafia. My name is Eric Walterkins. I'm Gavin Schmidt. And Gavin, sounds like you got something good for us today. What do you got? I do. Uh, we're going to call this Many Murders. Many Murders. We're making up for all the lack of murders, uh, all in one episode. So how many murders are we going to talk about? Or, or is it so many you uh, can't even give us a count? Gosh, you know, it's not, it's not that many. I don't know, maybe five. Sure. Holy crap! We'll I take. We'll find out. We'll take it. We'll take her away for us. Okay. So what I've got here is I grouped together these murders that happened between August 1910 and March 1912, so about a year and a half. And the reason I grouped them together is because the the records are just so thin. Um, the newspapers didn't cover them in great detail, and again, the spellings are terrible, so you can't always follow along so well. The police records from this time don't exist anymore, so we don't have the police records. So um, you're lucky if, you know, you get a report in the paper the one day and then you get a follow up the next day. And that's about all you get. So I'm just going to kind of stream these together so you get an idea of just what it was like in this neighborhood for about this year and a half period. And I mean, and keep in mind, this is like smaller than a square mile. This is it's it's like if there's a murder and you live here. It's not like it's happening somewhere across town. Like all of these are within a couple blocks of your house. So not pleasant. Okay. So the first one is, uh, Antonio Novetta. Uh, this is August 1910. Uh, his throat is slit from ear to ear. He is staying in a boarding house. Uh, he had, he had actually just come to Milwaukee earlier that year. Um, and the, as many as 50 other men lived in the same building as him. That's how much they were packing them into these boarding houses. Yeah, so he's killed uh, $500 is stolen from his room, which is a lot of money in those days. Uh, and he had only received the money just a day before from the Milwaukee Italian Mutual Savings Bank. Uh, he had settled an insurance claim for a work injury. Now, it's sort of suspicious that he was killed and robbed the day after he got this, so... Uh, there was some suspicion that maybe somebody at the bank was kind of... Yeah. Yeah. Now, the bank was run by uh, Michael Cicero, and it had some questionable trustees. One, uh, a man named Dominic Leone, who we'll come back to in a future episode. Uh, spoiler alert, he dies. Uh, well, I shouldn't die. They all die, but I mean, he gets killed. So... Uh, 
remember the name Dominic Leone. Now, uh, Nevada did not die without a struggle. Chairs were tipped over, the cot was tipped over, a table was broken. Um, a, a man randomly stopped by, saw the mess, the blood, everything, called the police. Uh, detectives John Sullivan and Arthur Burns arrived, and the body was still warm. They found a passport and several letters in his coat pocket. Uh, they found a towel that the murderer used to try to wipe up the blood. Uh, cleaning up after himself. Cleaning up, yeah, cleaning up after himself. But, uh, yeah, they, they couldn't really make heads or tails of it. They questioned people. They got nowhere. They found a dollar bill with blood on it that was used at a local bar. They thought, well, it's, maybe this was taken. Uh, you know, this is maybe the blood from the murder. But, again, they talked to the bartender, and the bartender said he didn't remember who he got it from. Apparently, the bartender didn't seem to care that he had a bloody dollar bill. You know, so they couldn't really do much about it. Uh, and at this point in time, you, you got to keep in mind that uh, they didn't even really have such things as, like, blood types or anything. So if the murderer was caught during, like, the scuffle, they couldn't really do anything about it. They couldn't say, oh, the murderer has type A blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they didn't. Obviously, there was no DNA. So, like, if, if you didn't have a witness, you really couldn't do a whole lot of anything. Uh, just out of trying to be thorough, they ended up arresting a bunch of people, uh, including a mob boss, Vito Guardalabene. They pick him up for questioning. You know, doesn't tell them anything, obviously. Uh, he's, he declines to make any statement, but the police note that he has a large roll of bills on him. He's carrying quite a bit of money, not you know, necessarily the murder money, but he's doing okay. Yeah, and you would expect him to have a large amount of money with him. At all times, pretty much, because... I'm assuming he was quite rich at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So Inspector Reamer, who we met last time, the very honest cop, he says, I can tell you one thing. We're working on a big thing. Uh, if what we believe from the evidence presented to us is true, then this is something bigger than has engaged our attention for a long time. Very cryptic. Not really sure exactly what uh, he was hinting at there. Uh, this place, again, uh, the third ward, it's... It's gross. I mean, we're going to say this again and again. It's it's built on top of, you know, a, a, a place burned down. The garbage is nasty. Um, the health inspector doesn't like it. There's slum lords. Uh, again, they're packing them 50 in a building here. And they're sort of like the people in charge are sort of questionable. Uh, one of the two detectives in charge of this area, uh, Detective John Sullivan, who I just mentioned, who uh, his sister is one of the property owners. And one of the other property owners is actually a Wisconsin Supreme Court justice. Wow. So, uh, you know, it's some, some well-connected slumlords in, in the area. Um, along with that, uh, they, you have Mike Vitucci, who's living in the area. Uh, he's sort of like the good guy. He's the, he's the opposite of Vito Guadalabene. So he's trying to help out the police and that sort of thing, you know. What can he do? These people don't want to talk. He starts coming home on January 1910. He is, gets in a quarrel with someone who's boarding at his house, uh, a man named Tiberio Marola, who, you know, might be saying that wrong. Sorry about that. Uh, while staying in the house, Marola's eye caught the sight of Vitucci's 19-year-old daughter, Anna. Words soon turned to action, and Marola pulled out his revolver and shot Vitucci in the groin, bringing him to the ground. Vitucci was taken to the emergency hospital in serious condition by his family, and Marola fled to nearby Waukesha. Within hours, Marola was located and returned to Milwaukee. He freely admitted shooting Vitucci, and he had no remorse about it. Vitucci recovered, and Marola was charged with assault with intent to kill. Now, a strange thing happens here. Uh, when the time is to come to trial, he ends up getting acquitted of the charge. 
And do you know why he gets acquitted of the charge? I have no idea. Because between being arrested and court date, he actually marries the daughter. The daughter of? Of the guy he shot. So how, how does that get him acquitted for killing the guy? Well, he didn't kill him. He didn't kill him. Oh, he just shot him. He just shot him. He ends up recovering. Okay, okay. And if he would have killed him, he'd be in some serious trouble. Okay. But because between the fight and the court date, he marries the daughter, and the guy's like, well, now you're my son-in-law, so... I'm not gonna. I'm gonna drop the chart. Yeah, it's work. We're cool. We're cool. Bizarre. So yeah, so this guy, you know, he's now he's married to the to the man's daughter. They end up having five children. It's that's happy. So that's great. That same month, a man named Joe Bergerino receives a letter that claims to be from the Black Hand. The note says, "Dear friend, you should pay us five hundred dollars, or we will blow up your store and kill your family." We strike in the dark. Beware. This is the second of three letters that will be sent to you. If you do not pay any attention to the third letter, we will do as we have said already. You are to give the money, which is to be in bills, to someone who is all right. We will warn you again. Then beware. This is some questionable language here. Now, Bergerino says that he never actually received the first letter. Uh, he disregarded the second threat as nonsense. A third letter never arrived as far as he knows, and he doesn't know who this all-right person was he was supposed to give the money to. But despite this lack of a final warning, uh, his grocery store was, in fact, torn apart by an explosion uh, late at night on Valentine's Day. Uh, dynamite was placed in the alley against the side of his three-story building. His neighbors also had their home damaged. Uh, his family received uh, cuts all over their body, flying glass. Uh, they had slits on their face, hands, any other part of their body that was uh, exposed. His wife went into a state of shock. Joe was on the third floor playing cards with friends at the time. Just a mess. Now, strangely enough, even though this bomb went off shattering glass and knocking the house right, uh, the grocery store and house right off the foundation, uh, apparently nobody died. Oh, that's good. Uh, Inspector Reamer comes back. He rounds up two suspects, but doesn't get very far in the investigation. A bomb expert from Chicago arrives, and he wasn't of very much help. One of the men arrested had previously been picked up after the murder of uh, Antonio Nevada, who was the beginning of our story today. Nothing ends up really happening, and, uh, and Joe Bergerino says to the newspaper, he goes, oh, don't worry about it. When we find out who did it, we'll fix them ourselves. <laughs> I have been here many, many years. I work very, very hard. Now look what they have done to me. So he's, uh, yeah, he's not really, he's not afraid. He doesn't need the police. Joe Bergerino being a target is something of a surprise to me because he's actually related to two prominent members of the local mafia, a man named Joe Gamina, another man named uh, Pasquale Miliocho. And again, sorry if I'm not great on the names. Um, so you think that he'd be fairly connected, but yeah. Despite this, he was a target. We move on to March 1911. But let's go back. Yeah, okay. To Previous one for one second. So sure. you said that this guy's well connected to the mafia, and it's strange that they would target him. How do we know that this these crimes are actually done by mafia people? Because it sounds we don't. You're just making that assumption that that these were mafia hits. We don't know. The, the problem is is that. These letters are, you know, they're anonymous. And so we know that this is a mafia tactic that they would do. They would extort money on people that they knew had money. Um, like a grocery store owner would have pretty decent money by those standards. 
but because they're anonymous, we don't always know it's the mafia. Other people could be like, oh, that's a really good idea. I'm going to do that, too. And this actually created a big fear at the time. I mean, all throughout the country, there was these things uh, called black hand letters. And so the newspapers said, oh, there's this entire black hand organization that's doing this all around the country. And that's just not true. I mean, the, the guys who are doing it in Milwaukee has, have no connection to the guys doing it in Chicago or doing it in Cleveland or wherever else. I don't know where they picked this up from, but they all just started kind of doing this same thing. But there's really no connection between one and another. Other than the fact that one guy from Chicago saw some guy from Milwaukee doing it and started doing it in Chicago, and that it just kind of ballooned yeah. in that way. Yeah, I mean, my my impression is that the newspaper is creating this idea that, oh, the black hand is blowing people up. So if you sign letters of black hand, people are like, oh, crap, I heard about them. They're nasty. So, you know, you don't have to be any part of this, and you can use that as, yeah just to scare people. That's my impression because there isn't actually a real organization of criminals across the country that are the black hand organization. But if you read the newspapers at the time, that's the way they presented it. Uh, yeah. The papers did a really big part in, in, in ballooning this in ballooning a bigger, bigger issue than it needed to be. Yeah. Sound familiar? Anyone? <laughs> <laughs> Did you get on? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So yeah, now we're in March 1911. We got a man named Joe Zami, or Zami, again, I could be saying this wrong. Um, he's a garbage collector, running theme in these stories. Uh, he's doing his rounds, picking up garbage in the middle of his round. He decides to stop at the local tavern and have several glasses of wine. Another running theme, he's stopping in the middle of work to, to have drinks. They don't do that anymore? Maybe they do. I don't know. <laughs> So he's having several glasses of wine. He's hanging out with his friend, who is another garbage collector. Uh, they're exchanging funny stories, having a good time. And then right in the middle of it, his friend suddenly gets angry and tells Zombie, get back to work. Now, Zombie's like, well, why Why are you going to tell me to get back to work? You're also not at work. <laughs> and his friend says, well, I'm, I'm the boss, and which he was not. <laughs> Uh, he drew out his revolver and he shot Zombie in the side two or three times. Other men are scattering. Uh, one of them was kind enough to bring uh, Zombie to the hospital, where he was told that his wounds were not serious. Unfortunately, once the surgeon came in, the surgeon was like, oh, no, this is, this is pretty serious. Uh, so he was actually paralyzed and, uh, and did ultimately die from being shot. These, these people seem to have tempers on him that are pulling these triggers like really guys it tells you that you should be at work and you're, you're like well the only solution to this problem is i'm going to shoot you yeah, <laughs> like, and, I mean, keep in mind like my, my primary source here is the newspaper so the newspaper what really happened and what uh, the paper reported may not be entirely the same story very true yeah the only other thing i could do was get a coroner's inquest reports which just for those who don't know um Corner inquest report is this thing where they would gather up like a group of people and they would ask them what they think happened, and they would use that as uh, a document to try to charge somebody with a crime. Um, but again, if you, if these people aren't going to talk to the police or the coroner, the coroner's inquest is a pretty worthless document. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's interesting. So they 
And were they just like people that were in the community that they were asking them yeah. to? Yeah, okay. So we'll take a slight detour. I'll explain that. Yeah. Uh, so now, today, most counties have a medical examiner. Okay. And the medical examiner, you know, if someone has died of something that's obviously not, there's a heart attack or whatever, they'll come in, they'll examine them, maybe do an autopsy, and they'll come up with a cause of death. Well, it used to be that a lot of counties didn't have a medical examiner. They just had a coroner. And a coroner, um, this may come as a shock to some people, but a coroner is an elected position. You don't have to be a doctor to be a coroner. Okay. So before before counties had a medical examiner, the coroner would gather together these people um, to try to determine what happened. If they were lucky, one of the people they call is a doctor. But not necessarily. I mean, sometimes they would just gather six people, look at the body, ask a few questions, and come up with their best guess. So, yeah, so I know. Very, very flawed in doing yeah. it. Yeah. I guess if that was the best you had, that was the best you had. Yeah. Uh, like, this is not something that comes up in this story, but I have run across situations where, you know, being friends with the coroner has its advantages. <laughs> Because the coroner can write basically anything they want as the cause of death. So if you're like, oh yeah, you totally fell. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if you don't have if you don't have a doctor actually examining it, the coroner can write just about anything. Uh, yeah, that system got much improved. <laughs> so okay, so the the police are out there looking for this guy who just shot his friend in the bar. He's a he's got a little short black mustache. He's got a fur cap, dark clothes. He's wandering around. And uh, they actually find him just walking the streets. Uh, on his possession, he's got a knife. He's got the loaded gun. The police say that the gun smelled freshly fired. So that's not a, not a good sign for him. He's brought into the police station for questioning. Um, where he was wandering around, I don't know. But they uh, they did find him, brought him in. Uh, First-degree murder charges were brought against him. Now, at the trial, he was found guilty, sentenced to 25 years in Wapon State Prison. The sentence was later reduced to 15 years, and uh, he was out in time to get involved in bootlegging during Prohibition. So, ultimately, you kill a guy, you get 15 years. Not too bad. Now, did they have, like, parole and stuff back then where he gets out early, or was that just what he was sentenced for for killing somebody? Uh, well, yeah, like I said, he was, originally it was 25 years, but it was dropped to 15. Uh, he did file an appeal, and they reduced it. Okay, yeah, so they, could, they had some sort of system. Yeah, too. he could get parole, but this he wasn't parole. He just, the courts gave him leniency. Yeah, he used to not get that much time. Like, it wasn't strange to get 12, 15 years from killing a guy. Like Now, I mean, it's automatic life, but it used to be like, oh, you killed a guy, that's cool. You know, maybe you'll get, to, okay, still going. Still got more murders? Yep. Now we're November 1911. We're still in 1911. So just keep in mind, this is this is a crazy year. This is one year and what? You said three blocks, basically? Yeah. Is that uh, when this is all happening? Uh, Luigi Rignetti and Anastito Cascona. And again, this could be terribly mispronounced because I'm relying on newspaper uh, spellings here. Uh, they were held up by two or four unidentified men while walking home from work. Uh, they were robbed of somewhere between fifty and two hundred and fifty dollars. For the two men, four men, was it fifty? Was it two fifty? I don't know. Uh, but either way, uh, they were just uh, outside of the third ward of walking home when the assailants jumped out from behind nearby boxcars. 
Both of the men were stabbed, slashed, and beaten with an object that was believed to either be a wagon spoke or a pickaxe. <laughs> so, uh, you know, again, who knows? Uh, the one man was cut 18 times, but he still managed to hobble to a nearby house before losing consciousness. Uh, they were rushed to the hospital, received emergency treatment, but died. Uh, the one man died of a skull fracture and brain. Uh, the other man had to get 57 stitches. Uh, he actually survived for a while. That sort of, you know, made him not have the greatest life. Uh, and the attackers were never found. Wow. Now, you know what blows my mind about that story? Huh. Is the fact that in the early 1900s, he and stitches. I figure if you needed 57 stitches, they'd probably just let you die. I mean... Yeah, I suppose. I suppose, because it, it's just a pin in a needle, so... Yeah. yeah so, or thread in a needle, so yeah. Interesting. Okay. A couple months later, about two months later, Dominic uh, Siliberto left the home we shared with Dominic Fry to go buy groceries. Uh, he stops at the bakery. And then he stops at a tavern, of course, uh, owned by uh, another friend of his. Now, uh, he had formerly attended bar there, so he was welcomed by the other people in the bar. They all knew who he was because he, was, he used to be the bartender. But after he left, he was unexpectedly hit with three shots from an unknown assailant, the bullets penetrating his left arm, left shoulder, and left lung. Uh, Louis Costarella rushed over when he heard the shots, found Silberto on the ground moaning, and flagged down a squad car. And squad car we're using loosely here, because it's not an actual car. You know, again, this is like... Uh, police officer Arthur Burns arrived with an ambulance. Silberto was still alive when he reached the hospital, but refused to name his assailant. When told by uh, Detective Burns that he was not going to live, Silberto remained firm. I don't know. He is a bigger man, is all he would say. A priest came to talk to him, saying, you really, you're going to die. And he told the priest, well, his name might have been Sam. <laughs> uh, a doctor removed the bullets, but it was too late. He died the next morning of a perforated lung. Uh, he left behind a wife. They tried to find uh, the killer. They brought up uh, 20 Italians into the police station trying to get answers, but the newspaper said it was futile and hopeless, and sure enough, it was. They got nowhere. On the night of March 1912, so this is less, March 23rd, 1912, this is less than a month after this last one, uh, Gaetano Canizzo, who went by the name of Tommy Guy, uh, he was stabbed 20 times in the back with a, with a two-edged stiletto. The man was barely breathing. He was coughing up blood, but he was found by a passerby in a vacant lot. Uh, he had put up his arms to block the slashes, but that only ended up getting him cut on his arms a whole lot more. Uh, at the hospital, he said he had been actually stabbed by his cousins. He actually did name who, who attacked him. Uh, he said he was attacked by his cousins, Carlo and Joseph DiMaggio. Coincidental or not, Carlo DiMaggio actually lived in the same house as Vito Guardalabene, the mob boss. And Canizzo lived next door. Uh, police end up searching DiMaggio's bedroom. He found two forty-five rifles, four revolvers, multiple stilettos, because you always need more stilettos, several boxes of cartridges. Detectives brought the DiMaggio brothers to the hospital. And they again asked Canizzo, are these the guys who attacked you? Carlo put his finger to his lips, uh, you know, making the silent symbol. And Canizzo said, oh, no, 
those those aren't the guys. My, <laughs> my mistake. I thought it was my cousins, but it was not. Uh, no charges were pursued. This was not the last time the police would see the DiMaggio's. Uh, there was no motive ascertained in this attack, uh, and the police weren't really sure how he ended up in this in this lot. But uh, you know, the cause wasn't robbery. They, they they didn't really know what was going on. But again, he ends up dying of all these stab wounds. No charges were filed against the Dimaggios or anyone else. So this is just a a, a run of murders and attempted murders uh, in the uh, third ward over about a year and a half period. And uh, I don't know if you caught the running theme here besides of how violent it is, but other than the one guy who went to court and had the charges dropped, nobody is ever arrested for any of this. That's crazy. And it's just, but I mean, if the people are going to talk, yeah. I mean, what, what do you do? Especially in those times, there's, what more evidence do you have? Yeah, but so, it's just, like, so let's, again, I wasn't counting, but let's say there's five people who were murdered. That's bad enough. But you've got five murderers. Yeah, in your neighborhood. Hood, yeah. <laughs> well, unless it's all the same murderer. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, you've got, you've got guys who should probably be in prison. Mm -hmm. Wandering your neighborhood. And your whole, not to mention that on top of that, your whole neighborhood is protecting I mean, at least somebody yeah. is protecting that person because you know that in the neighborhood this small, this many murders, like somebody's going to know something and right. isn't speaking. So, right. which is terrifying. It's kind of scary. Yeah. Now, are there, is this like an abnormally awful patch of time that you found? Or can you, could you put together segments of like this? throughout like a 10-year history while the mafia was running rampant that stuff well, like this was happening okay so as you're going to find out in, in future uh, episodes this might be slightly higher <laughs> than than usual uh, but it's it's definitely not the end there's there's going to be several more murders over the next few years uh these are just like i said i just kind of group them together because the records are so scarce mm -hmm. um the police records no longer exist. The prison records obviously don't exist because nobody went to prison. So uh, there isn't a whole lot. Each one of these, you know, could be its own chapter or you know its own episode. If I had and the information, the, the records just don't exist. And do you think that, like you said, this could have been very high? Do you think this could have just been high because at this period of time? the police were just figuring out how to deal with this type of crime. And then as time has gone by, they just got better at it. And, and then hopefully either did a better, I guess they're not going to be preventing murders though. They're only going to yeah, be, I guess not so yeah, they're just going to be better at finding the person that does it. But who knows, maybe three of those, three of those murders were the same person. They and if they would have caught that person, they would have, well, you know. Again, I'll tell you, spoiler alert, uh, they, they don't get a whole lot better at catching. They don't? No. Okay. I mean, up through the 70s and 80s, uh, there's the, the, the murder rate drops significantly. But through the 70s and 80s, not a single person is, getting is, caught. is arrested for the murders. So all the way up into the modern times. That's crazy. The mob guy, you get shot, your your killer's gonna walk away. And, and do you, like getting into the more of the modern time, seventies, eighties? Do you think that the police are just 
if if you're a mob guy and you get killed, you're just like they just don't care. Like they're not, they're not really gonna pursue it because you were a bad guy per se. Well, I think that's part of it. I mean, uh, there's one there's one case that again we'll get to it, but uh, in the fifties, and I have the police file, and the police file was like fourteen hundred pages. I mean, it's massive. So it's not like they didn't try. Uh, but again, I mean, you're not going to have people coming and talking to you. And one of the biggest problems um, I feel with a mob murder is you don't know. Uh, like most murders are husband kills wife, wife kills husband. It's really obvious. Like if, if a wife is, is dead, you know within five minutes who did it. But with the mob murder, even if you know it's a mob murder, that doesn't mean you know who did it, Be- it because who, it's it's who got told to do it. Right. It's not somebody who had a personal issue with the guy. Yeah, you ask you ask thirty people potentially that could have been and the guy that pulled that trigger. Exactly. You might know all. You might even know who all thirty of them are, but right. you have no way of knowing which of the thirty actually did it. Right, precisely. And none of them are going to speak. <laughs> none of them are going to tell you which of the thirty did it. Yeah, so that's the problem. Part. I mean, if you're the police or you're the district attorney or whatever, I mean, you got to have the evidence to actually say who's the guy who pulled the trigger, and that's hard to do. I mean, you you might know who who was mad at the guy who ordered him killed. Like that part, you might know. But who actually did it? The guy who did it isn't the guy who, you know, they, they, they got in a fight like you owed money or something. That's not the guy. So, yeah, there's definitely some major roadblocks in trying to solve that stuff. One more question, and this might be off topic, and you might be coming to this. So That's if you don't want to answer, but I'm curious if we're going to hear at some point in time, like, Back in these time frames, up till the seventies, you would say the mafia was pretty rampant in Milwaukee. Would you say? I mean, it was definitely there. Yeah, okay, yeah, so yeah, it but it was definitely there. Yes. But today, you can't for certainly say that it's there. Right. So, can you talk a little bit about what changed that would bury this? I mean, they were so yeah, successful. Yeah. <laughs> and if it, this is something we'll come to in yeah, in a future episode, that's, we'll... That's not, that's, and wait. That's so... No. Well, we can, I mean, that's... I think it's on topic. No, that's getting way into what, what ends up bringing them down and everything else. I mean, that's... Okay, so there is a story to what did bring them down. Oh, definitely. Okay, okay. Yeah, there's, a, there's a major, major bust. See, see, so now we just we just created a massive cliffhanger for people. That it's we will... going to be a very long cliffhanger, because <laughs> right now we're only in the 1910s and 1820s, so they're going to have to wait a while. But, yeah. Hang <laughs> around, episode 300. <laughs> All right. I will stop asking on... Unrelated questions that we can read. That's what I'm saying. That's that's a whole, like, you know, at least half hour in itself. So let's not go down. (laughs) Okay. So that'll wrap up this episode, unless you got something else you want to talk about. I think that's about it. But, yeah, if if you'd like to, this list of murders, uh, good, because it's going to be like that for a long time. All right. Then why don't you hit them with contact info if they want to reach out to you? Absolutely. You can now reach me at 
milwaukeemafia at gmail.com. Uh, I have a website also, milwaukeemafia.com, which is sometimes fun to <laughs> So, uh, you can check It'll be back in two days. Okay. <laughs> you can check that out, and I keep a lot of writing on there. So um, anything that isn't in a book yet is actually on there. I, I'm happy to share what I have. So, so check that out. Uh, do some research. Uh, have fun. And definitely give us questions. If anybody out there has any sort of connection to the Milwaukee Mafia that might want to come on as a guest, we would love to do an interview with somebody that might have something to share that even Gavin could learn from. We want that. We, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so reach out to him if you do. All right. Well, thanks, Eric. I'll talk to you again next week. Yep. Thanks, everybody, and tune in next week for another episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia Podcast. Join us next week for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey there, e-commerce enthusiasts. Let me tell you about a game changer in shipping, ShipStation. It's the ultimate platform for simplifying your shipping process. With ShipStation, you can easily import, manage, and ship your orders in no time. It integrates seamlessly with your favorite e-commerce platforms and carriers, ensuring a smooth workflow. Gain valuable insights with their powerful analytics and reporting tools. Say goodbye to shipping headaches. Visit MilwaukeeMafia.com slash ship and level up your shipping game today.